Hello and welcome everyone here to Essex Church, our home of Kensington Unitarians. Welcome any visitors, regular attenders, podcast listeners to this time that we share united in our commonality regardless of a difference in race, sexual orientation, gender or economic status. We are here because we are human and are seekers on this quest called life together. My name's Janine, and as well as being a member of this congregation, I'm also part of the themed ministry team, alongside Jane and also our minister, Sarah, who's here, but will be back to leading next week. Let's start our hour with these words by Margaret Weiss. She invites us to come into this place with your whole self, the parts that are raw and exposed, the part that is beaming with joy, the part that is seeking the truth, the new, the possibility. Come into this place, open your heart, lay down your burden, lift up your hope for something new to happen. Come into this place, with fellow travellers on the journey, some faces new and others familiar, and all welcoming you here to this moment. Come, let us worship together. It's time to light our chalice, and tomorrow, the 5th of November, marks the start of Diwali, the Festival of Lights, with Wednesday being the main day of celebrating for Hindus across India and the world over. And although known as predominantly a Hindu festival, it's also celebrated in various ways by Jains and Sikhs and the newer Buddhists in Nepal. So let's light our flame, our symbol of our Unitarian and Unitarian Universalist faith for all those who, whatever their beliefs, make the light shine in our world. We have a story now for the children (laughs) and for everybody else. Um, and highlights that um, we often ask to play our part in the process of creating peace. So there was a woman who wanted peace in the world and peace in her heart and all sorts of good things, but she felt very frustrated. The world seemed to be falling apart. She would read the newspapers and get depressed. So one day she decided to go shopping and she went into a shopping centre and picked a store at random. She walked in and was surprised to see Jesus behind the counter. She looked again and again at him and finally got up enough nerve to ask, excuse me, 
Are you Jesus? I am, the man behind the counter said. Do you work here? No, Jesus said. I own the store. Oh, what do you sell in here? The woman asked. Just about anything, he replied. Anything, the woman said. Yes, anything you want. What do you want? She said, I don't know. Well, Jesus said, feel free to walk up and down the aisles, make a list, see what you fancy, and then come back and we'll see what we can do for you. So she did just that. She walked up and down the aisles. There was peace on earth, no more war, no hunger or poverty, peace in families, no more drugs, harmony, clean air, careful use of resources. She wrote furiously. By the time she got back to the counter, she had a long list. Jesus took the list, skimmed through it, looked up and smiled and said, no problem. And then he bent down behind the counter and picked up all sorts of things, stood up and laid out some packets. The woman asked, what are these? Jesus replied, seed packets. This is a catalogue store. She said, you mean I, I don't get the finished product? No. This is a place of dreams, he said. You come and see what it looks like, and I give you the seeds. You plant the seeds. You go home and nurture them and help them grow, and someone else reaps the benefits. Oh, she said, sounding quite surprised. And with that, she left the store without buying a thing. And I wonder what you, I, or any of us would have done in her place. So now it is time for the children to go for their own programme. <coughs> and let us here turn inwards now in the spirit of prayer and reflection. We ask the spirit of life and love to be with us as we contemplate all that is happening around us, in our world and in our lives. For so many events, the history is complex, the politics involved are intense, and the fear and anger are overwhelming, and the future is unclear. Please aid us in recognising glimpses of a hopeful vision which will not be bombed into oblivion by anyone. In prayer we call to mind the peacemakers, past and present, be they like ourselves or neighbours of differing faiths or communities, with different histories, different politics, differing values or different emotions. Those who've found room for each other in their hearts, in their dreams, and in their lives. 
Those who hold firmly to a vision of peace and justice anywhere in the world. And in this few moments, let us turn our attention to those places of conflict in our world which are in need of our loving thoughts, peaceful visions and silent prayers. Spirit of compassion and care, be present with all who are suffering terribly the effects of violence. Lift up our hearts of those who fear and inspire courage among the peacemakers. Be present with political leaders, ensuring a retreat from violence and a procession towards the peace table. Guide the hands of all those who are caring for the injured, the hungry and the grieving. And open our hearts to compassion. Remind us of our own complicity and responsibility. And lead us towards generous engagement and always towards a vision of peace. May this be so today and all days. Amen. There is no such thing as a lasting peace, a tranquillity that will persist forever, a final resting place for the lion and the lamb. We yearn for the completion of our task, the fulfilment of our striving, the consummation of our journey. And this longing sows the seeds of our defeat. We aspire to solve conflicts. We ache to be done with the hard work of life. We pine for the day in which an everlasting peace prevails. In believing that the purpose of a peace movement lies in securing an outcome, in reaching an amicable conclusion, in attaining a serene world, we assure our own frustration, our own futility, and ultimately, our own failure. The work of peacemaking will never be done. That is the curse and the blessing of being human. It is a curse in that there is no utopian culmination of our labours. A blessing in that we will always have meaningful work. The peacemaker is like Sisyphus, whom the gods condemned to an eternal life of pushing a boulder up a hill, only to see it roll back down again in an endless cycle of apparent futility. How could Sisyphus endure such a fate? I've asked my students and their answers were revealing. 
Some students supposed that there was always hope, a hope that the gods would relent, that peace would finally come to Sisyphus and perhaps to us. A particularly creative student suggested that over time the rolling of the boulder would erode the hill so that eventually the labour of Sisyphus would be complete. Maybe as we roll the boulder of peace in every generation, the hill of hate is worn down. But I believe that the most compelling answer came from those students who understood that a sense of futility comes from the belief that we rightfully expect to see the fruits of our labour. We forget that virtue lies in the doing of good works, not in the completing of our task. Maybe Sisyphus will never recover the graces of the gods. Maybe the hill will never be worn down. But if he, if we, can authentically and deeply engage in our labours, if we roll the boulder of peace because it is what we are called to do, if the measure of our work is its capacity to shape who we are, we can go on pushing. And if in the course of our labours the hill of hate is eroded, that will be a beautiful thing, a very beautiful thing. But as much as we hope that peacemaking will replace warmongering, as much as we hope to live at a critical point in human history, as much as we dream of a glorious conversion of society, we must understand that while epiphanies may change souls, they rarely change the world. To know what we can do, to understand what the world needs of us, we must look into the eyes of the frightened soldier and the terrified child. But to sustain our work, we must look inside ourselves. There we shall find the understanding that the endless labour of life is not about changing the world but about creating ourselves. We cannot make the world peaceful, but neither can the world make us hopeless. this November is peace and we'll be covering it from um, different angles over the month. Today as there's so much war raging across our world and in our personal lives and um, communities, conflicts are so often dealt with by violent means and methods, we'll be looking at some alternatives. This might be a slightly longer address than we're used to. There are so many ideas I wanted to pack in. I had to really rein myself back. And, um, but I'm sure my hope is that you'll take something from it. The roots of violence are so deeply embedded within our society, 
From physical discipline of children, many of you may have been brought up with a clip round the ear or a slap to bring you into line. To violent computer games and films, they often top the rankings by outselling other genres of films and, and games. And continuous displays of violence streamed on our news channels. We're surrounded consciously and unconsciously by a steady dial to violence. So when we encounter conflict in our own lives, either as individuals or a community, it can be a challenge for some of us to know where to start in, in finding alternatives and different strategies to resolve conflicts without resorting to society's default position of solving things through violent means. Fortunately, though, there have been people throughout history who have chosen nonviolence as a way to create change in their societies and situations and to negotiate effective long-term solutions. Author Jean Sharp was a retired professor and political, uh, political science, of political science and founded the Albert Einstein Institution a non-profit organisation dedicated to advancing the study of non-violent action. His definition of non-violent action being this. Non-violent action, also sometimes referred to as people power, political defiance and non-violent struggle, is a technique of action for applying power in a conflict by using symbolic protests, non-cooperation and defiance, but not physical violence. It is a technique, therefore. Non-violent action is not passive. It is not inaction. Non-violent action is action that is non-violent. In his book, How Nonviolent Struggle Works, and also on his organization's website, he described over 200 methods of nonviolent action. And these are classified into three groups. They are protest and persuasion, non-cooperation, and lastly, nonviolent intervention. In some ways, I think of them as pathways of peace. And I'll give some examples from each group as I understand them. And as I do, you might notice the methods that you've engaged in in the past or consider ones you might try if the need arises. So firstly, protest and persuasion. Over the next week, you'll no doubt see many people wearing white poppies, which were created by the Cooperative Women's Guild in 1933. And they're worn instead of the red poppy, which only remembers the military. The white poppy shows remembrance of all victims of war, civilians as well as those who fought in the war. And it also shows that the wearer is committed to peace. So wearing symbols is part of protest. Petitioning. 
is something which, although has been used for a long time, has really been transformed in the digital age, with organisations such as 38degrees and change.org creating online petition platforms, making it easier for people to get involved. Even the government have their own petition website, stating that with, with 10,000 signatures, there'll be a response from them. And with 100,000 signatures, the petition will be considered for debate in Parliament. So that's petitioning. Protests take different forms by gathering, marching or walking and go back years. Crowds actually gathered for a peace rally in Trafalgar Square two days before Britain declared war on Germany in 1914, with over 10,000 people reportedly in attendance. And it was one of several protests organised across the UK. It didn't stop the war, but those attending felt that they were making their views known. And even having parades and carnivals organised by marginalised groups such as LGBT pride parades and Notting Hill Carnival show creative ways that groups can, do, can and do change the often hostile culture surrounding them. So that's a few from the first group. The second group is non-cooperation. Gandhi's salt march to Dandi, India in 1835 was a non-violent protest against the British salt monopoly using, by using tax re resistance due to the high taxation of salt, which hadn't been in effect before British rule. And it was adversely affecting millions of Indian people. The march drew worldwide attention and was an important step in undermining the British hold on India. Refusing to comply has also come up in wars too. A conscientious objector is someone who's claimed the right to refuse to perform military service on the grounds of freedom of thought, conscience or religion. A recent film, which some of you might have seen, called Hack, Hacksaw Ridge, is a biographical war drama about Desmond Doss, who refused to carry a weapon or even kill an enemy soldier due to being a Seventh-day Adventist during his time serving as a combat medic in World War II. But throughout his time, he saved many lives carrying fellow wounded soldiers to safety and is the first American conscientious objector to receive a Medal of Honour. So there are different ways to get medals other than killing. And a last example from this group. So any Doctor Who fans, like me, um, would have seen an episode a couple of weeks ago where Doctor Who needed to ensure that the historical actions of Rosa Parks' refusal to move from her bus seat happened. Although Doctor Who is a fictional programme, the event is factual. In 1955, Montgomery, Alabama, 
African-American Rosa Parks refused to comply with what was then the lawful order for a black person to give up their seat for a white person. She was arrested for civil disobedience, but her actions played a pivotal role in the start of the bus company boycott and civil rights movement, with leaders such as Martin Luther King Jr. calling for non-violent routes to a change in society and eventually legal segregation in America was abolished. So that's some examples of non-cooperation. Non-violent intervention is our last group. And we often hear of prisoners on hunger strikes. In the suffragette movement, many women who were arrested used this method and went on lengthy hunger strikes. And Gandhi, who we mentioned before, was well known for using this method too. Occupation is another one, and many of you may remember the Occupy movement back in 2011, 2012. Occupy was a worldwide movement working to create what they called alternatives to an unjust and undemocratic system, and they called for real de global democracy. It saw people camp in tents for months and occupying areas of St Paul's and other locations in London and across American cities too. And environmentalists as well have done dumb things. So recently the news highlighted people posting empty Walker's crisp packets back to Walker's in a bid for the manufacturers to start making recyclable crisp bags. So these are all examples of non-violent intervention. From the few examples I've mentioned, some people are still seeking just solutions to the same or similar issues decades or even centuries later. The desire for a peaceful world by more peaceful means can seem at times to be futile. But Geoffrey Lockwood's reading, which we heard earlier, points out that peace is ongoing work. He says, if we can authentically and deeply engage in our labours, if we roll the boulder of peace because it is what we are called to do, if the measure of our work is its capacity to shape who we are, we can go on pushing. And if in the course of our labours, the hill of hate is eroded, that will be a beautiful thing, a very beautiful thing. And whether you agree or not with his idea about peace not being a final destination, his reading also points out that we each need to play our part if we want to see peaceful solutions. This came as a surprise to the woman in our story who went into the shop and wrote her long list and upon receiving seeds that she needed to plant and nurture, she left. But it need not be a surprise to us as Unitarians 
We and Unitarian Universalists have a long history of helping bring about social change and justice by a variety of peaceful measures. And other religions and organisations too are doing their part. The Quakers, which I know some of you are also affiliated with, hold peace at their core and are also very prominent in spreading the message of peace through educational resources. Also, the Peace Education Network, which is made up by many national pacifist and peace-promoting organisations, produces something called Teach Peace. Teach Peace is a free teaching pack of activities and lesson plans for 5 to 12-year-olds to explore themes around peace, and is where our quote on our order of service by Don Rowe comes from. Our quote says, True peace is more than the absence of war. It requires the presence of justice and care. Without these basic core values, there can be no real or lasting peace. Don Rowe there. And in here lies the hope that when we deal with the underlying issues with care and a view of justice, real lasting peace in an area of our own and others' existence can be a true possibility. We can be the change we want to see in the world. A quote by the aforementioned Gandhi. If we can gain a good embedded knowledge of non-violent problem solving, continue to learn that there are other ways to resolve conflicts than using violent means, that in having a more varied toolkit for managing and de-escalating potentially violent situations is a win-win for all involved, we have something truly powerful to share with others. Not just through our words, but with our non-violent actions too. And who knows, Maybe this will turn the tide just enough so that using pathways of peace will become the new status quo in our homes, classrooms, places of work, communities and wider society. So may we be helped to plant and nurture our own seeds, seeds of peace, in ourselves and in our world too. So may it be. Amen. As we prepare to leave and move into our lives in the days and weeks ahead, let us hold on to these words by Samuel Trambor. Every week we gather in this beautiful space to find peace. Each week, words and music offer and celebrate peace with the hope of instilling it in us. Now take the peace you have found here back into the world with you, renewed in our faith and inspired to act. Let us be the peacemakers the world aches for. And by being peacemakers, let us find the peace we long for. May you go in peace and blessed be. 
Amen.